back to three decades of tragedy, a history of the Thirty Years' War. So last time we covered the defenestration of Prague, which was the major inciting incident of the Thirty Years' War. This week, we're going to cover the initial opening military campaign of the war. And just so I can define terms for future reference, whenever I say Imperials, this is anybody on the Catholic side. So this could be, you know, the Spanish, the HRE. And when I say Rebels or Protestants, that's, that's generally the Protestant side. Just so I can clear that up so no one has questions. Without further ado, let's dive right into the war. So like I mentioned last week, both sides started to gather allies and muster troops immediately after the defenestration happened. One problem both sides ran into, though, was people were being cautious and not really wanting to jump in. Keep in mind, at this point, this was still a regional conflict within the Empire. This wasn't something that was necessarily going to drag Europe into a war. It was, this was just a small rebellion that didn't even need all, the, all of the HRE to get involved in. The Imperials pushed the message that the Protestants were radical and they were trying to found a Dutch or Swiss-style republic, which did not give nobility the same power that, say, the nobility in the HRE had. It was kind of a... People in power were comfortable with the power structure, so they didn't want to, they didn't want to rock the boat, so to speak. What I found interesting actually was the Pope was actually lukewarm on the basis that he thought the Habsburgs were sort of exaggerating the threat of these people. So he was like, "I'll send you some money," which he kind of did a little bit down the line, but otherwise he didn't really actively send troops or anything. It was just a small internal rebellion. Spain, which was another Habsburg holding, it had its own issues going on, and and one of the members sort of urged caution to getting involved. Eventually, he stepped out of politics and the political council that sort of helped run Spain and the Habsburg holdings. Eventually, the council, after the previous guy left, voted or agreed to send support for the other Habsburg family, although it was rather small at this time, maybe a couple thousand troops, some money, that sort of deal, nothing major investment-wise. The Habsburgs also managed to gather some Protestant leaders to assist them. In particular, Saxony, which... Saxony is northern Germany. I'll post a map of that on the website. But this was actually a blow to the Protestants because the Protestants, aka the rebels, wanted to get their support so they have a wider reach and also so they can get more troops and resources. The Saxons then proceeded to block off the northern part of Bohemia, which locked the rebels into from expanding to the north. They weren't necessarily involved in like assisting actively assisting the army at the moment, but they were there to block off any expansion by the Protestant rebels. Related to those actions, the Protestants, the Protestant rebels, had also been trying to court them for their support, which, as I just mentioned, they didn't get, and that really did a blow to the Protestant unity, which the rebels were trying to create. Like, this was a Protestant cause against the Catholics. The Protestants also ran into issues of getting more support from the Protestant Union. Like I mentioned last week, Christian of Anhalt was a member of a league called the Protestant Union. Many of them were supportive in a moral sense. They believed this was a religious cause, but they would not support them in any sort of material or positive in that sort of way. It's for many people, it was a prayers and thoughts thing. One case in particular stood out among the Protestant issues. There was an issue about the Bohemians, or at least the Bohemian leadership, did not agree with it. There was a construction of a fortification in Udenhelm that, for whatever reason, they didn't think was practical or they didn't want. They brought in around 5,000 troops to shut that down. But to the other Protestants and other Protestant leaders, it looked like a, a coup or an attempted coup or that sort of thing. And that, while not turning them against them, it definitely lowered the trust in the leadership of of the Protestant rebellion. They also ran into issues when they tried to get external support. Christian of Anhalt, who was leading that effort, realized that he really couldn't get external support, say, England and other and other Protestant nations that were in Europe, to support them until he really could get support from Bohemia and other central nations within the HRE. 
basically it was a case of they wanted to know that the revolt could last and could deliver a result that, that they wanted. And this was still regarded as an internal issue in the HRE and not a external war yet. Christian of Anhalt also tried to get Moravia to support them. And I will post where Moravia is on my website. But the best they sort of got at that point was neutrality sort of on both sides. So the Moravians would, they didn't support either side, but they would let both sides pass through militarily. And they must around 3,000 or so troops, which at that time was not, it was there for defensive purposes. It wasn't there to assault either force, just defensive in nature. The Protestants realized that they needed to get Moravia because one of the failures of an earlier Bohemian Revolt in 1647 was due to the fact that they lacked the support of Moravia, which reduced their movement. And the other side of that coin is, without getting Moravia, many other Protestant lords and princes were hesitant to support them. So it was basically a, they needed Moravia or this revolt could fail. The start of the military campaigning of the war was this. The first moves of the war were effectively done by an imperial commander, the Count of Bukoy. He tried to go around the forces that had been gathered by Thurn at Prague in order to strike at Prague. Thurn himself was in the process of, of besieging a few last strongholds of the Habsburgs within Bohemia. Thurn then proceeded to, using intelligence gathered and knowledge of the land, to cut off supply lines of the Habsburgs and the Imperial forces by destroying local villages and blocking the roads with guerrilla troops. Basically, an army that can't supply itself has difficulty moving, especially through enemy territory. So Bakoy realized that when his plan was not going to work, he retreated to the southwest to move closer to supply lines and, and to regroup and come up with a new plan. This led to the start of a the tide turning for the Protestants and Thurn. Count Mansfield, who was a minor Protestant lord, he had around 5,000 men, 2,000 of them being mercenaries, and 3,000 of them being Silesians. He captured Pilsen on November 25th, and then had, at that point, turned into his headquarters. So that was a an initial early move that showed some strategic initiative on the part of the Protestants. Seeing that happen and, and the general lack of progress, the Imperialists fell back to Budweiss and Krem to the losses from disease and desertation, they lost a few thousand men. Which, for those of you who aren't military literate or military strategic literate, many cases in this time period, a lot of losses were just done by men slowly trickling away and men dying from disease. Basically, most armies would be losing men every single day due to loss of morale. You know, the general reason why someone wouldn't want to fight in a in a war sort of thing. So the idea was you wanted to sometimes finish a war fast enough that you didn't, so you didn't lose all the troops you had because they were, it was unavoidable to a certain extent. But getting back on topic, Thurn, taking the taking initiative and the advantage, he then split his forces to try to assault multiple targets at once, seeing a potentially weakened Imperial front. He split his army into three forces. One was under the control of a man named Hohenlo, who was sent to besiege Bukoy, the, the lands of uh, of the Imperial commander. One under his command, which his plan was to forcibly take Moravia and to put pressure on them to join them. And the third was under, under Heinrich Schlick to march on Vienna, which was a risky move, but if it worked out, they could put pressure on the, on the Habsburgs and potentially get what they wanted. On the Vienna front, Schlick reached Lower Austria by November 25th, the same day as the fall of Pilsen. But by then, he only had around 4,000 troops, and they lacked winter gear. So whatever forward momentum they had died there, and they sort of they had stopped moving at that point. And sort of the war came into a bit of a stalemate due to loss of, due to disease and 
dissertation on the Protestant front. By February of the next year, which is 1619, the Protestants had only earned 8k troops between all three detachments, which which gave a lull to the Imperial troops so they could rebuild troops, recruit more, that sort of deal. The Catholics then secured a back route through the mountains of southern Bohemia, even though they were actually denied access through Upper, upper Austria due to being blockaded by the Protestant commanders. Bakoy then eliminated the defenses that were set around the route they found, which then let Bakoy sort of supply troops and push troops into Bohemia and keep them supplied. Strategically, both sides were at a stalemate. Uh, so, for, again, for those of you who aren't military literate, strategic is generally means like larger scale. It's how long does it take to move from, to this town, where is the enemy moving on, on a bigger scale? That sort of deal. It's not battle tactics or anything like that. It's wider campaign resources, that sort of deal. Tactics are more on the battlefields, in the moment style things. Sometimes less thought out, sometimes more thought out. It all depends. Just to make it simple, strategy is big planning and tactics is small time planning on the battlefields. This stalemate eventually led to a Saxon-led peace talk in order to see if they could resolve this war without taking too many casualties and just draining the resources on both sides. The nobility of Upper Austria claimed Duke Albert was the ruler. Then in response, Ferdinand reluctantly offered the Bohemians and the rebels their rights and privileges if they laid down their arms, along with amnesty for committing the crimes. Ferdinand was, as I mentioned before, was very strong-willed and very hard hardcore Catholic. So this was actually not something he was he would do easily. The Protestants, however, were having none of this. They basically felt the time for talking was over. They they didn't want this right now. They didn't want to do this when they still had somewhat of an advantage or at least weren't in an awful position in the war. This effectively sort of played their hand because initially their whole problem was, or at least what they claimed was, they were not against the Habsburgs. They were against Ferdinand. Unfortunately, them not accepting this peace showed that they were not against Ferdinand. They were against the Habsburgs in general, which understandable due to the fear of abuses from the family, but it basically meant peace was very hard to, or impossible to do at this point. In the end, this war was going to happen whether each side wanted it or not. With the breakdown of those negotiations, Thurn was authorized, along with bolstering his number by about 5,000 militia, to invade Moravia on April 18th, 1619. Their goal was to get the Moravian estate. The estate was basically the governing body of the nobility. Most likely, if any of you heard of the estates, it's like, the French Revolution, there was the three estates, there was the nobility, clergy, and then everyone else. It's effectively that same setup. And like I mentioned before, the Moravians were neutral at the time. However, the Moravians didn't expect Thurn to walk into Moravia with nearly 10,000 men. So they quickly marched in and seized the estates, or the land near where the estates gathered. And even one of the three regiments, which was around one to 2,000 men or so, defected to the Protestant cause. One regiment actually tried to mutiny, and for those of you who know, or those of you who don't know, the man in charge of that regiment was a man named Wallenstein, which I want you guys to remember that name, because he's going to come up later in this war. But to get back to the point, his regiment mutinied, but the leader was killed, and all the men who were loyal marched on Olmutz and took the treasury of the estates of Moravia. He then fled south to the border of Austria. Ferdinand reacted by stating, these actions were not legally permitted, so he disbanded the troops and sort of spread the cash around, hoping to increase morale and make it look better. 
And to some extent it did, but it also had a secondary effect of it caused the there was negotiations going on within Moravia between a cardinal named Dietrich Stang and Thurn about a truce or even a more of an alliance. But this move basically discredited that cardinal, or at least Thurn used that move to discredit the cardinal. And he at one point threatened to defenestrate him out of a window after he brought him sort of in, into an office in one of the government buildings. Unfortunately, that did not help with negotiations because one of the leaders of the estates was a man named Zeroden, who didn't take that kindly and would not accept a permanent alliance with anyone who would do something that barbaric to people of Moravia. So all that Thurn could secure was a four-month truce, which was a blow because this was another Protestant group that would not ally with a Protestant rebellion. So in order to try to see if they could gather support among the Protestants, their plan was to take Vienna. Basically, if they could take Vienna, it would show that they had enough military power and force that they could back up their claims of legitimacy, and their cause was righteous. Vienna was a major holding of the Habsburgs, so taking this would be a, not only says that we can take a heavily fortified city, it's that we can attack Catholic cities and imperial cities. So with that plan in mind, Thurn advanced to the city by going through the frontier at Zanim but at the end of May. One AC supposedly had up his sleeve is there were Protestants within the city that were willing to assist Thurn in taking the city. The idea was, was that when his army advanced to Vienna, they would take control of the government, and then they would throw open the gates for the army to come in. As the story goes, Ferdinand invited Protestant died and Catholic died members in order to try and reconcile them. Even with his hard work Catholicism, he realized he didn't want to have disputes within the city or because that risked the Protestants having people on the inside. Unfortunately, those Protestant lords and princes walked out of the diet and didn't want to think about reconciliation. Later on, a mob formed and came to storm the palace where the emperor was, and actually supposedly reached him. One man managed to grab him by the throat and, and sort of threatened him to get their demands, but the emperor actually escaped, and he, he went to a chapel, where, according to legend, he held a crucifix as he was sort of praying for deliverance. And conveniently, a couple thousand arquebusiers, which, like I mentioned in the military episode, were a form of firearm troops, came in and, and broke up the mob and, and rescued the emperor. Later on, around 400 cavalry showed up, bolstering the emperor's morale and sort of his feeling of security. Which, fun fact, that unit of cavalry was actually given special privileges up till 1918. One moment created a thing that this into the fall of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Also, that crucifix that he supposedly held, asking for deliverance, is supposedly in that chapel where he hid. But back on the military front, after those reinforcements came in, the defenders had around 5k troops. The Protestants, with their lack of heavy artillery and low numbers, well, needed for a siege. A good estimate for a siege, especially if you want to take by force, is you want at least 5 to 10 to 1. So if the enemy has 1,000, you want at least 5,000 guys for, for every 1,000 of theirs. It's much easier to defend a place than to assault a place. This lack of numbers, as well as the failure of taking the city and opening the gates from the inside, led to the Protestants realizing they, they couldn't take the city and they had to retreat north in order to preserve their army. This had the effect of hardening the Catholics in, the, in Lower Austria against the Protestants and affirming their loyalty to the emperor. The second effect within the city was Catholic army went door to door hunting down hunting down Protestants and, and those who those who sort of betrayed the city. Generally, this is treason, so most likely long term prison or death. And those people, especially nobility, who fled the city successfully, made their way to a town called Horn, where they made their own directory and started to levy troops for the rebellion. 
this effective loss at the first battle of the war, well, first pitched battle of the war, it was definitely a blow to the legitimacy and just the morale of the Protestants. It made them look bad in front of the rest of the Protestant worlds and made people less willing to join them. It's almost becoming a trend right now that they're just having a lot of issues convincing anyone to help them. It's not going to get much better from here on, I'll tell you that. This loss was compounded by a loss in Bohemia by Count Mansfield. He was moving his 3,000 remaining troops to join Hohenlohe when he got sort of ambushed by Bakoy after Bakoy saw him retreat and went to intercept him. They met around June 10th at Netolitz, and Mansfield proceeded to get surrounded and cut off by the Imperial troops. Bakoy set fire to the town in order to scare the men and get them to try to escape. The Protestant troops who tried to escape generally got cut down by Imperial cavalry due to them not being organized and basically easy prey. Mansfield, at that point an outlaw, he was able to escape with a small group of his men, and he almost actually died when he went to a friendly garrison at Muldauton due to them thinking he was an Imperial officer at the distance. Another blow came when Bakoy convinced half of Mansfield's troops to defect by offering them enough money for a month's pay. Like I mentioned earlier in the military episode, mercenaries who aren't getting paid, or who even are getting paid, if you can pay them more, will turn on you. So Mansfield lost around 1,500 men just due to Bakoy bribing them. Hohenlohe had tried to intervene and assist him, but he was unable to. And due to realizing this was a bad position as a whole, he broke his blockade around around the cities he was besieging and rejoined Thurn as he retreated north from Vienna. They still outnumbered the Catholics, but there was feuding, and the position in southern Bohemia was weak, and therefore the Catholics had free reign to loot and pillage all over Bohemia. And the, and the final effect of this battle was that this victory provided a timely political boost to the election of Ferdinand, due to the fact that he, he, while he wasn't the emperor at the time, the imperial diet was was in the process of electing him or voting to elect him. So this victory in war was was another way to secure his legitimacy. For people who don't know, in many ways, almost up to the modern day, one way to legitimize your leadership was victory in battle. It showed strength, willingness, and your ability to benefit the nation. Spoiler alert. Ferdinand was elected the emperor. I think I mentioned that in previous episodes. But to summarize this, the Protestants, while starting out promisingly, made risky gambits in order to try to gather allies and prove that they were a legitimate revolt. Unfortunately, they ran into issues and overextended themselves and made tactical blunders, leading to defeats in a bad early position in the war. Fortunately, as we will talk about next week, there was a temporary bright light coming coming up ahead but we'll cover that next week when we talk about the crown of bohemia and the conflict around that thank you guys for tuning in this week please rate and review if, if you use a podcast app or website or something like that i love to see what you think unfortunately back to working on the weekends again so the next episode will be out in two weeks so until that gets resolved or my schedule changes, that's gonna it's gonna be back to that routine. Once again, in the process of potentially setting up a Patreon system. Listen to last week about that for a little of my sales pitch. And see you next time when we talk about the Bohemian Crown. <laughs> <laughs>